I'm going to start it now. All right, so uh, Chris, this is just the start of the podcast recording. Dave, you can start it and edit it from the point at which um, Dave Briscoe does the introduction. All right, so Dave, whenever you're ready. Okay. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Subro on the Go. Uh, we are joined today by our regular co-host, Joe Rich, out of our Miami office, and we have a special guest today, uh, Jake Skaggs, out of our Houston office, and we're going to be talking to you about good states or bad states, uh, and uh, is your state a good state or a bad state, uh, a discussion about uh, uh, comparative fault principles. And so as litigators, we're, we're not concerned about red states and blue states like in politics but for us it's about good states and bad states and so what we mean is you know what does your state follow in terms of key principles on what we have to prove as segregation professionals um, uh, how much fault we have to prove on the defendant and how much fault do we have to avoid for our insured in order to have a recovery um, so we're going to walk through bad states we're going to walk through um, some middle ground states and, and and then finally we'll talk about who the good states are joe why, why don't you kick us off with what constitutes a bad state I, I, somehow I always get the tougher topics, Dave. I don't know why, but um, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Uh, uh, so, so the bad states. Bad states are not bad in the sense that you you can't prove a subro claim in these states or that you know you should give up and pack up and leave. Um, we're talking about contributory negligence states, and we're we're talking really today about negligence claims and what type of comparative fault arguments you're going to face or what the percentage of fault are in different states to to sort of shut down your negligence claim entirely. Bad states are contributory negligence states. And what that means is these are states where if the defense can prove that your insured committed even 1% of negligence, then your negligence claim is entirely barred. So we call them bad states. But that's not to give up because in most instances, you know, you're going to face defenses regardless of which of these three categories of states that we're talking about today. But bad states are are somewhat tougher to be in um, because you're going to get uh, creative arguments. Some of them um, are District of Columbia, Maryland, Virginia. You know, it's like, uh, you know, so so keep some of these states in mind. And, and our firm has a 50-state chart that we circulate that outlines which category most of these states fall into. But those are... Those are some quick examples. Um, and then if you look, um, if you think about, let me let me give everybody who's listening an example. So I, I once had a case in a contributory negligence state in the Atlantic region where um, the insured had hired an electrician to install a new electrical panel and run the connection to the panel in a conduit under his slab. And the electrician asked him, well, where would you like me to put the new panel? And he said, well, I'd like it in this corner. I'd, I'd like it in the corner of this room because then I don't have to see it. And if you could put it there, that'd be great, right? So that's what the that's what the electrician did. He ran it in this area. But when he ran it, he ran the conduit underground incorrectly and it eventually led to a fire. Well, as we litigated the case, the defense attorney was holding on to this theory that our insured was at least 1% at fault because he told the electrician, I'd like the panel in this area of the house. Well, if you guys think about it, Jake and Dave, I mean, the insured is not the electrician. It's permitted work. The electrician's doing the work. And the location of the panel had nothing to do with causing the fire. So this is one of those instances where I'd say that 
defense attorneys tend to try to get creative and come up with what they think is a 1% scenario. Right. Go ahead, Jake. Right. I mean, it, it, Joe, this, it, that's a great idea is, is, is there's a lot of, in these type of states, there's a lot of kind of massaging of bad facts that your insured or your homeowner did, um, and they're trying to make it negligence. And we always got to remember that the defense size has the same burden and standards that we do when we're trying to make our case. So I always face a lot of times like in dryer fires, um, they'll say, well, your, your uh, uh, homemaker stacked her laundry on top of the dryer, left it there, and then the fire. So they're they're going to be contributory negligent. I'm going to say, look, that's that's not a breach of the standard of care. Every homemaker in uh, you know in the United States probably stacks their towels and laundry on top of the dryer. That's not you know that's not a violation of our standard of care. And that's kind of the pushback on on those things that we always have to remember. Yeah, but if we so so that's like I would say the contributory negligence states in a nutshell and then we're moving on i guess to the middle ground states right yeah jake you want i mean you know let me just roll my eyes every chance i get as the california guy on the on the podcast because you know you're the, not the, even you... allowed to talk until we get to the end of the podcast <laughs> right. because california is ridiculous well from a policy standpoint it's just ridiculous what i'm hearing from from uh, these pure comparative fault states because you encourage nonsensical arguments from the defense which stifles settlement so the defense will likely lose these arguments ultimately, but it just stifles settlement. So while we love all our friends from you know Alabama, Maryland, North Carolina, Virginia, um, and, and everything that's great about your state, you're definitely a bad state when it comes to comparative fault principles. Um, but, but give me some better news. Talk to me, Joe, about a middle state. So, um, so middle states, we're talking about states that have either a 50% or 51% rule for comparative fault. And the easiest way to explain that for everybody listening is that, you know, your negligence claim could be barred if someone establishes that your insured was 50 or 51% more at fault. Um, the, the way I like to think about it is they try to say the insured was more at fault than the defendant or series of defendants. And, um, you know, a classic example of this is, you know, where you have, uh, you know, a homeowner who's homeowner slash builder slash serving as their own general contractor. And one of the trades like improperly installs, you know, an electrical line or a water line and it fails and it leads to a loss. And you'll get some creative arguments from the defense that somehow your insured bears the majority of fault in these type of states and therefore your negligence claim is barred that's that's like an example of a scenario i don't know jake you probably have jake jake probably has other more interesting scenarios from louisiana where he practices well yeah is you know a lot of it is is uh the homeowner the contrib is maybe after the event happens so if i have a fire uh in a home and the homeowner didn't had fire extinguishers there but they weren't charged or or uh, that matter so they try to use that as as a contrib or they're going to be over 50 the jury's going to put over 50 percent on there you know most of the time in my jury trials i think the jury does a good job in in listening to the evidence and and apportioning but you know they always kind of tend to fall back on the 50 50 rule uh more times than not so that's kind of my default on when there's a really good facts about um uh, you know your homeowner your insured uh, contributing to the to the fire or the loss itself um the worst parts are 
uh, trying to get the expert to to look at what the insured did and opine that they didn't do anything wrong, like when you have water losses and the insured is their, their own installer, because they're always going to point to that in, installer uh, issue in a, uh, in a uh, uh, product defect type case. Yeah, it's still, I mean, the, look, your, your middle states here uh, are your modified comparative fault. You know, you're not as bad as the bad states, but there's still some policy issues here because obviously if you're insured, you know, it's 50% at fault or, 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 you know, even 60% at fault, you know, but the defendant's 40 you know, percent at fault, you know, in my opinion, the defendant should still, you know, hold liability and they should still be held accountable for that portion of liability. Um, but for them to get away scot-free to me is bad policy. Um, but again, I, you know, I hail in good state, so I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a bit critical here. Yeah, you're, you're just twisting the knife in a little bit too hard there. But, um, you know, some examples of some examples just for those who are listening, you know, with these sort of middle ground states would be you know, uh, North Dakota, South Carolina, Colorado, Georgia, you know, we've got some, some examples like that. And again, like, um, we have a 50 state chart that sort of breaks this down. Um, but you, you just like the 51% rule, for instance, you know, when I was in, um, our Philadelphia office, this came up a lot in New Jersey and Pennsylvania, you know, um, you kind of were always shooting for that 51% mark. And now, so, so now that we've gotten, these more challenging two categories out of the way, you know, we can kick it over to Briscoe here to tell us about what it, what life is like in California. It's good. Well, this is a proud moment for me because I get so much grief about living in California. Taxes are too high. It's too expensive to live here. I hear it all. I, all the other thoughts about California in general. But we're on the good state list, and, and I think we're right. And so obviously being on a good state list means this. Um, that you you know you get what you're owed right so if uh, if you're 99% at fault or your insurer's 99% at fault but the defendant's 1% at fault you know it's a rare situation but you would get 1% from the defendant so you get a you know your your claim is reduced by the amount of your insured's fault but there's no bar um, if there's a certain level of fault for your insured if it's a 50-50 case then uh, where your insured's 50% at fault and the defense is 50% at fault you get 50% of your damages um, and I think we think that's the, the appropriate policy decision because it's holding everybody uh, accountable for their their portion of fault what, what we're seeing in states that are doing that are just throw air I guess throw it in the gumbo as we call it say in Louisiana and just let the jury figure out and then assign uh, uh, percentages and you can recover is a lot of states like Florida and Louisiana are including everybody if they're you know if they have any involvement even if they're not a party of the suit so uh, it, it's a it makes it a little bit more complicated to evaluate the case you know you're not just plaintiff what did the plaintiff do and what did the defendant do and kind of figure out who their responsibility you also got to look at what did the government do or what did the immune person do or or, or somebody unknown vagrant do it's it, these states are starting to add these types of protections or what they consider more fair play in these quote-unquote good states and this is where this is where i have to apologize to you dave because i'm in <laughs> florida and it's one of these good states um so even though i was ribbing you earlier um florida is like california to that extent that you know the percentage of comparative fault that your insured may have may have committed in a negligence case isn't going to bar you in any way i mean you could go after the defendant for one two three percent of fault but in florida we have um and in most states they probably have a similar mechanism 
In Florida, it's referred to as fobbery defendants. And what that means is that the defense is able to point to a series of potential parties that they think are partially or wholly at fault and not necessarily is required to third party them into the case. Um, normally, if you were you know, in federal court, you would have to file a third party action against the defendant would file a third party action against anybody who they felt was responsible in any way, shape or form as sort of a, uh, a shifting of the risk that they may face in the plaintiff's litigation. In Florida, they don't necessarily have to do that. They can just name the parties. But there's two important things to keep in mind. They've got to identify the parties. And if the case were to go to trial, they have to produce some evidence to substantiate that that party has some fault. It's not just we're going to you know, throw 50 names on the verdict sheet and just hope that the jury checks a box next to some of them. So there are some challenges. And, and you know, um, that's why when I see some of these kitchen sink defenses where they're naming like every contractor that was on the job, I scratch my head sometimes because it never ends up really going anywhere in most cases because they would have to prove that case as well and i don't know jake if if that's what you see too yeah i mean in in construction cases in 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 the listeners may recall efis uh, cases or stucco cases they the defendant the manufacturer of the efis and the general contractor would name every single person that we would just say whoever walked across that home's lawn is going to be named as a responsible party and try to be submitted to the jury and it it all kind of shakes out in the wash uh you know obviously they have to present some evidence of of and go through the elements of their cause of action and primarily causation of the damages so it, it does it does tend to work itself out in the wash but it just makes it uh, more complicated to kind of figure out who's there and it may it does tend to make our cases go a little bit longer because there's additional discovery that needs to be done where normally like, I don't think they're involved but it takes a while to, to at least get to that point where the defendant eventually just kind of drops that allegation. Dave, do you see anything like that in California? Yeah, I mean, and I'll note this may be the only time when California and Florida are on the same team. And we've got, you know, a number of other states on this good state list, Arizona, Alaska, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi. There's there's a host of them on our on our charts. But uh, um, but California, you know, does have uh, similar to Florida, allows the empty chair defense. But you have to be able to show there's evidence of fault on the um, non-party you're adding to the um, to the verdict form. Um, so the judge acts as a bit of a gatekeeper there but we seem to be more aligned with florida on these issues which is interesting yeah would would you guys say would you find that although that courts or judges tend to be a little bit more lenient in including those types of defendants because they're not parties of the case we tend to see that in texas where if if it was an actual defendant filing a summary judgment they most likely would win but since they're not really not a party and they're not having to pay any money they tend to tend to act, you know, keep them in the case and let the jury figure it out. I think it depends on the type of case. In a construction case, um, you know, I, I hate this is not the answer you want, but I think it could go either way because I tend to, my argument is always that if they don't have an expert or some witness that is going to tag that other party, it leads to nothing but jury confusion. You know, so I think if you make a strong enough argument and you make the right argument, they get knocked out pretty early on. And sometimes it's just not taking the bait. Um, you know, my partner Josh Goodman and I recently had a case where the defendant, you know, named everybody possible 
that like it's like you said jake anybody who entered the building was identified as one of these third parties and we didn't take the bait and it kind of fizzled out after a while Uh, we should you know we do have time guys uh to talk about for a few minutes about joint and several liability which to me is is like the cousin to you know these comparative fault principles we're talking about and it does become icing on the cake for the good states where if you're a good state and you have joint and several liability uh, then it's it's an extra bonus for you you know your ability to put pressure on the defense to resolve these cases um and, and so just to highlight what it is you know in in, in california follows this if a defendant is just one percent at fault you're still going to account for your insured's comparative fault but but if your insured has no comparative fault and the defendant is just one percent at fault then the defendant is liable for the entire amount of plaintiff's economic damages uh, and that's very powerful because, um, you know, you will get arguments from the defense where they point the finger at empty chairs in California. Um, and we will say, well, as long as, you know, you're tagged for 1%, you're liable for the whole amount. And the public policy argument is as between plaintiff and, and a defendant who is at least the defendant's at least partially at fault. It's fair to place. We'd rather place, you know, all of the uh, responsibility on the defendant who has some liability rather than putting it back on the plaintiff who, who may have no liability. Um, so that's a nice thing on the cake. Uh, um, uh, uh. And, and that's and that's where we part ways. It was nice being on the same team for a while. Because in Florida, it was we were it was nice for all of like two minutes. Um, no, in Florida now, um, it's it's several liability, which means you can only recover from a party their percentage of fault. So the jury is asked to. You know, if you have three defendants, the jury's going to be asked to assign a percentage of fault to each defendant, and that's all you can recover from that defendant. So Florida used to be joint and several liability, but I think they heard I was moving down here about five years ago, and they decided to change the law to make it a little bit more fun and challenging for me. But, um, you know, we're, that's where we Yeah, and let ways. me give a couple of – go ahead, Jake. Yeah, several ahead. liability – Several liability works in a lot of times when you have a big damages case, but your insured is, you know, uh, pretty good at fault. There are a lot of like plan explosions and those types of cases, but it's a big damages, but you know they're they're only going to they're going to sign a big portion of it, and so several works. Um, the joint several in Texas, which is over, you know, the defendant has to be over fifty one percent responsible. Really is helpful in when the one of the defendants is immune or has some type of limited liability. Like I had a case of a gas explosion where the line was mismarked, and then the city of Houston dug into it and um, and uh, caused an explosion. Well, in the government here is limited to 100, only a hundred thousand um, dollars. So you just argue joint and several against a you know line being mismarked, and it, and it carries a lot of weight. Yeah. Um, yeah. What we do is you know it's really helpful on two cases. One where there's multiple contractors blaming each other, and so your insured has no fault, but you have multiple contractors pointing the finger at each other, and you can resolve with the ones who will play ball and and be reasonable and resolve, and it leaves the remaining contractor who's not um, cooperating in settlement negotiations holding the bag. Uh, on the remaining settlement amount, um, if they don't if they don't play ball, because we can show, look, all we have to tag you for is is one percent, um, or it helps in cases where we don't know the the initial cause of the loss, or we don't know who's the main culprit, but we have some spread arguments. So if it's a discarded smoking case where you know it's spread to your property from, we've we've had some, we've had a neighboring apartment complex where the fire started a neighboring apartment complex from somebody discarding um, a cigarette in a trash can that spread to our property. We don't know who caused the loss, but you know we do have potential arguments for against responsible parties saying, landlord, what are you doing to 
uh, prevent smoking or to ensure proper discarding of smoking material at your property. Um, this is California, so everybody hates smoking here, so this works. But um, but if we just have to tag the landlord for for one percent, um, uh, and he's responsible for the whole thing. So th that's where it comes in handy if you don't know who the primary target is, but you have some spread arguments. Yeah, I think I think we've touched on these topics in a good way in the time that we have. Um, uh, Jake, thanks for joining us today, and uh, Dave, thanks for sort of taking the lead and, and steering us, although you, you did, in my view, have the easier part of the discussion today. Um, uh, and for those of you out there, you know, uh, keep listening. We're going to be having future podcasts coming out soon, um, and if you guys ever have any questions or you want to submit topics, feel free to email either uh, Dave Briscoe or myself, and we'll be glad to include it. You guys no, this was fun. Thanks for, thanks for this. This was great. Yeah, All a right. lot of fun, guys. Thanks a lot. I hope it was informative. All right. Thanks, guys.